0: I'm honored to have Scott Fulton, Scott Fulton III. Of course, you are a legacy, Scott. Scott's been a good friend of mine for a long time. He's a nationally known journalist writing about technologies. He's been on our podcast before. So, Scott, thank you once again uh, for taking time out of your busy schedule to join me today.
1: Oh, thank you for having me, Larry. This is wonderful. I appreciate it.
0: It's always good to talk to you. We're going to talk about a number of subjects, but I want to start off with an issue that has Uh, been in Fishers for uh, about a year or two. Uh, Verizon has been installing 5G towers in neighborhoods. Now, they they called it interregnum at the beginning of this year. I think the pandemic had something to do with it, and just just because of their workload and ability of their employees to work, uh, they're going to start up here very soon again. So we are uh, seeing in Fishers several neighborhoods being uh, fitted for the five g technology, and I want to start off with this, and I think this is a national thing. We want to talk about the actual technology itself, but i'm I'm fascinated by the laws that are both national f c c rules, state laws, where local governments and homeowners associations don't have a whole lot of say when it comes to how five g towers are placed. Uh, but the fact is, Scott, as I understand the technology. Uh, you have to have 5G towers fairly close to each other, particularly compared to the technology we use, uh, the pre-5G. So talk about why we have to have these towers so close together.
1: Uh, it's because uh, the, the new systems that are being devised are at much lower power. The transmitters are lower power, which means they can be cooled by the air. When you have an air-cooled transmitter... It costs so much less to run the, the, the pockets of the transmitters that would that would collectively uh, service an entire area. It costs so much less to, to operate all of those combined than that does one great big tower that, that uses some type of condenser cooling or air conditioning. Uh, cooling is the biggest single expense in running a transmitter tower depending on whom you ask it, it could as much as 67 percent of the cost and this is all about the real estate cost the maintenance cost other than that 66 percent of what what's, what for a, uh, a telecom operator or the owner of the land for for the radio base stations 67 percent of what they pay for is the cooling uh, you can make these things smaller so that they generate less heat but each of them services a, a a much narrower area, the, then uh, the cost of operating the system goes well down. Um, 2014, 2015, AT&T went before Congress. And its CEO at the time uh, uh, testified saying that, that we invested all this money on 4G LTE. LTE stood for long-term evolution. The whole idea was that they were going to have a 15-year, 20-year plan for what to do with 4G technology. And they started building up and retrofitting all these great big towers to work with 4G. What nobody anticipated was how much heat those processes would generate. And instead of lasting um, well, you know, five, six years for service life, these things were burning out in 18 months. It was becoming as the ATT chief told Congress unsustainable. So we cannot make a living doing this for a, for a sustained period of time. We have to come up with another system. Uh, 5G was pretty much offered to them on plate because uh, the, the initial concepts for 5G, which were let's take all the computing stuff off of the big tower, and then move them into a cloud data center. Well, it was China Mobile that came up with that first. So at and said, hey, help us. We need any help we can get from any place we can get it. So they started working in the research in, in tandem with China Mobile on how to take um, the, the, the cloud control, well, how, how to take the base station control unit off of the tower and move them into the cloud. And the concept they came up with, which was the core of the first 5G, is called C RAN, uh, a cloud radio access network. Um, and, and it was AT&T that pretty much started that ball rolling. 4G's lifespan ended way short. It, 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 it was terminated uh, prematurely, if you will. The idea that if we get 5G running, uh, we, we've, we've got an excuse to move these. Um, Move these hot computers into easier to cool cloud data centers, and we could just use uh, the whole thing that the transmitter would need to be done doing is is simple base transmission over half the size of a ball field. So if you have the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, you can, a lot of people imagine that two and a half mile water mines, and and a lot of people, you know, you, you know where I want to be, right?
0: Well, no, we're here. I assume you have your tickets all set already.
1: Uh, the tickets are coming. I mean, oh, they've okay. been late. Uh, they've, they've been late to mailing those out, but the tickets are coming, and I expect them to mail like at any time. Anyway, people can imagine the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, um, a small scale, like a forty-nine foot towers that you would need to broadcast five G. You could conceivably put. Uh, a tower outside each of the turns, turn one, two, three, and four, and probably service everybody in in that area. With the large scale 5G, which, which Verizon had already installed for the Speedway, you needed that one big tower. So it's the move to all the smaller ones. and a lot of people have been, uh, in municipalities, I've been mean, saying, you know, uh, first of all, why don't you consult us on this? this particular thing, and we were talking about the laws. In order to expedite the 5G initiative, in order to answer the ADT chief's call for Congress and saying, hey, we need help for this, Congress several years ago fast-trapped uh, the, uh, they put a fast-track program in place, which President Obama signed into law. And it was the idea that, uh, that if you are a, a township like Fishers used to be, if you were a, a city, a municipality, uh, anything smaller than a state, uh, you cannot stop uh, 5G from moving into your town based on a legal proceeding. You can consult, you can hold hearings, but in in essence, they're coming in and saying, this is what we're going to do. And people thought, oh my god, they're going to put a tower in their backyard. Well, it's not as terrible as, as uh, that might seem, because the 49-foot towers are not that much taller than you know, a very tall street lamp. And sometimes you can retrofit a tall street lamp, thing to make it 49-foot tower, and you can put your, your base station equipment up there. And that's already happening in Fishers and other communities. Matter of fact, Fishers is, is among one of the first communities in the United States. To get to get this ball rolling on some of its main, main, main thoroughfares, and we're already seeing you know 96th Street, 106. Uh, we're seeing a, a lot of the major thoroughfares come through. Uh, if, if you look at those really pretty hunter green lampposts that are being retrofitted, there's something that looks like a um, that looks like a Napoleon cap on the top. That, that's probably 5G equipment, so it's not going to look all that bad. And besides, it's not just 5G that will that will do this, that will be retrofitted. You also have a technology that's coming in as part of Wi-Fi Series 6 that a number of other service providers are bringing in. Comcast is doing this in a certain area, Spectrum is are doing this in other areas, where they're bringing fixed wireless Wi-Fi on these 49-foot towers. Well, part of the deal is that they can cohabit the towers with 5G, so you might see the big gap on top you might see boxes underneath, if anybody goes through Broadwick, you notice, hey, there are a few more towers, towers there than there were before, uh, you know, on, on, on Guilford, you'll, you'll see where they put a couple of new ones, and they put some Wi Fi six boxes on them. And they're, they're small, and they radiate down to to the local area. Well, that's actually a revenue generator for a community. And, and it can be a revenue generator, for somebody like fishers, because what a lot of the service providers are working out is a deal where you kind of move your cloud computing service, if you're a municipality, onto one of, one of those that they make available to you. And they're making uh, Verizon has made deals, for instance, with Amazon. And you can use the Amazon cloud by way of fixed wireless 5G through Amazon, uh, through Amazon but with Verizon's backhaul, with Verizon's fiber linking up to that
0: point. Can I ask a question and, and at this point here? I know you. The, the, there's one question I've got about that because it, that's really yeah. fascinating what you just said. But if you have the Wi-Fi 6 and you have the 5G, is mm-hmm. the Wi-Fi 6, is it as capable as the 5G? In other words, if I've got my 4G cell phone, will it give me what I want? Uh, if I have wireless in my home, am I going to have what I want Is it going to be the same sort of speed and and, and accessibility as 5G? Are there differences between those two services?
1: Uh, The most important difference I can say when using Wi-Fi for voice and or video communications is this. It will be as capable as using uh, the, 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 the standard telephone signal, which a lot of people use a 4G video signal right now. It will be as capable of that if you don't move, if you don't get a walk around. Uh, it, it it services you where you sit. If you're if you're going to uh, the Starbucks in Broad Ripple and you're moving into the Starbucks in Fisher, but you don't plan on doing any communication along the way, then you could conceivably do your entire phone service through Wi-Fi y- six. You you do telephones through Wi-Fi. 6 if you wanted to, or at least something as good as that. And a lot of people are, are saying, uh, you know, they're they're using their Zoom or their Teams, or their even their Skype for their phone service, and that essentially works as well. But if you're in your car where you're moving around between stoplights, that's going to be a different deal. And for that, you 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 would still need uh, a four G or a, a future five G.
0: And the thing that strikes me about all this, Scott, is that, uh, uh, for example, if you have a cell phone and 5G is in your neighborhood and you have signed up for 5G, you have to have a 5G phone to get the benefit. Am I correct on that?
1: You have to have a 5G phone, a phone capable 5G, to get the extra bandwidth, the, the, the new channels that uh, – that that the FTC has set aside specifically for 5G. And even the 5G phones that you can purchase now, you have to be careful because not all of them, not all of them that you can find on the market today will be capable of actually accessing tomorrow's 5G spectrum. The one like, for instance, in the C-band, which was just auctioned off, it hasn't even been turned on yet not all those phones would be capable of it unless they could be upgraded. And some of them can, but not all of them can. The very first ones, if you bought a 5G capable phone like a year, a year and a half ago, you might not really have a full 5G phone. Uh, so um, it, the hope is when all the different channels come online continually, all of those channels put together, some of all channels, will be the multiple antenna bandwidth necessary for a full 5G connection. And if you're on your phone, you know, I've watched a movie on my phone before. It looked perfectly good under 4G. Why would I need 5G? The truth is, maybe you don't. But uh, if you're moving, if you're moving from place to place, and that you're, you're walking along, you're pushing a print, uh and your initial changes from one cell to another cell that transfer on 5g will be much more seamless so there's a lot of there's a lot of, of, of carry there it, it it is it is better in that respect and here's the other thing if we get to the point and that's an it where 5g service comes 100 percent online and we're able to turn off the 4g lines and as, uh, as, as part of the plan, give some of those channels to first responders or something like that. If we're able to turn off some of the 4G and work with just the 5G part of the signal, so in other words, the transition period is over and we're doing 5G only from the towers, there's no excuse for this not to start charging less for that because the costs should go down. And that was the whole point of doing 5G in the first place is to reduce costs. So uh, there's a hope here that somebody in a government might enforce uh, that promise that telcos made to say, hey, you, you lowered your, your, your costs, pass on some of those savings to your customers. So there's a chance to do that. But when would that happen? We're looking now at the earliest latter part of 2022, most likely mid-2023.
0: Yeah, but Scott, here's the thing that strikes me, and, and help me with this because what I'm hearing is that, as you said, you know, you have to have these towers closer together. So, how long will it take to get interstate highways 5G? How long is it going to take to get our roadways? You say, you know, Fishers is a bit ahead of the game. It's not true everywhere. So, and and I, uh, I want to get into what kind of home services 5g can give you but just one more thing on this whole cell phone issue uh you before 4g starts giving up its spectrum uh don't we have to have the ability to get that signal almost everywhere which is pretty close to what we have now with 4g
1: well uh one way or the other uh the map will be covered the uh, at least the metropolitan areas of the map, because you have 5G equipment operating from large towers as, as part of the rollout plan that that came first. So most. Essentially, all, I'm going to say 98 percent of the big towers uh, in America that are that are operated by T-Mobile, uh, which has merged with Sprint. Which is now one company by Verizon, by AT&T. All of those have, have 5G equipment running from them. So. Your map is covered. That's not going to be a problem. The, uh, you don't have to wait until all the small cells are are turned on for your coverage area uh, to be complete. Your coverage area is there. Open, what needs to happen is the migration needs to come from select tall towers to the small towers, and uh, and and that 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 process. That process can consistently take as long as it needs to take, uh, uh, but for for our person uh, from our point of view, ours as consumers, for the telcos to start seeing the savings that they've been promised, that needs to happen sooner than rather than later. If they had an incentive to to kick themselves off of the fuel burning towers. Some of which have diesel generators, uh, as soon as humanly possible.
0: Diesel generators—I didn't know that. Well, let me yeah. ask you one. Let me ask you one other aspect of 5G that I find fascinating, because uh, you know, for instance, in my neighborhood, uh, I have internet access, but it's fiber optics until it gets to a certain point, and then mm-hmm. it's still copper wire coming into my home for a certain mm-hmm. point. Uh, so, will 5G have the capability? of giving me at or better than a, f- a full fiber uh, optic connection? Will I be able to get my cable TV off of 5G? Will I be able to run my computer wireless on 5G without having to have a wireless network in my home? Tell me what, uh, I've been hearing all kinds of stories about that. What's what's really happening there?
1: Well, well, anything that's legitimately uh, a 5G technology covers uh the connection between uh the uh the communication provider and the customer up to this point of contact which is the terminus between the you know the last mile where you come up to the last what what, what's commonly called the last mile that last stretch of communication between uh the street and your house it could be 50 feet, it could be a mile, but 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 uh, communications professionals refer to that span of the last mile. The 5G covers up to that point. What service you get depends on what the telecommunication provider can install at that point. What Verizon would like to do, what at and would like to do, T-Mobile will probably get into this, and what Comcast would also like to do, because it's it's buying some service and reselling it from Verizon, is produce something called 5G fixed wireless service, which means at your street lamp, there would be a little 5G tower, a little 49. At that point, which would be the terminus, they would also install a little box that would effectively be your access point. And with the 5G wireless service, that would replace your Wi-Fi router in your house. It would replace it. It would also replace the Wi-Fi routers for other houses that subscribe to it within uh, in, you know maybe two three hundred foot radius from the tower. Mm-hmm. So so a cul-de-sac and maybe the houses behind the cul-de-sac. Uh so it, it support theoretically it should support a dozen houses. Hmm. Uh, and it would replace their, their Wi-Fi routers with something that would be at least as capable. The hope is that it is more capable. In other words, when you, when you sign into your Wi-Fi on your phone, which you will continue to do, you would do through the same method that you do with your Wi-Fi router. Mine's behind this monitor. Uh, it would be replaced with a box that's that's up the street on top of my street lamp but I wouldn't see any, any difference. Hopefully, I would even see better coverage. So that is, that is the hope. And with, with, with 5G fixed wireless, there is the possibility that it can add something to that, 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 that something was called millimeter wave service. This, is, this would be an add-on that would be a fixture that works atop the 5G wireless box. The millimeter wave service, is something that would be extremely fast, way, way fast. Some 5G actually needs millimeter wave service because in order to connect all these small cells, normally you have to have fiber optic cable. You have to have fiber optic leading to that point. Well, in rural areas, the smaller towns, you know, there are going to be places in Columbus, Indiana, where you're not going to be able to dig for for fiber optic cable. You could probably create a pole, but nobody for things anymore. That, that nobody ever wants to make a pole, a new pole for, for electrical. And leasing space on current electrical poles is too expensive. You don't want to do that. You want to be able to dig underground. So millimeter wave uses microwaves. And when people talk about what they're afraid of, the 5G and microwaves, this is what they heard about. It uses microwaves. This isn't a, an, an actual threat to people it's we we deal with microwave signals all the time it would use a microwave coverage relay to go from point to point giving you gigabit style service maybe even two gigabit style service uh that leads into a small box that would be inside your house next to your window and that would act as as a router okay and that that little box could give you an explosive maybe 10 times the speed theoretically of what you get on your current Wi-Fi router and probably 10, eight to 10 times the speed of what you could get through 5G fixed wireless alone. Okay. Um, that, that would be great if, you have a, if you're running your business out of your house, as more people during the pandemic year started learning how to do if You're running, if you have a major server and you're running it in your house, this this is a great way to to um to run a little e-commerce operation. This would be a great way for the city of Fishers to run its own little cloud service, and provide cloud communications for all the small businesses in its area through military.
0: You know, you said something uh, last time you and I talked a few years ago about how in the early days of tech most of the tech companies uh, decided to center their operations and their data centers there were only so many of them. And that was why California was a big tech hub in the early days. Then we got faster connections and all of a sudden the data centers could connect to other places. What I'm hearing you say is that the technology has, has moved forward greatly where a place like Fisher's could, uh, uh offer cloud computing. That's a very big move forward.
1: Yeah. If a, st- a city the size of Fishers uses a cloud computing service for to, to run its municipal operations, to run its street lamps, to run its stoplights, to run uh, its, its its first responding services. There there are cloud-based operations that, that do that. Uh, but right now, it's probably, if they're, if they're using Amazon, uh, and, and around here, that's being fed through data center in Chicago. They could be fed through a data center in Dallas, uh, so it's going to, uh, from Fishers to Dallas to next door Fishers, and there's latency involved in that, and that latency is measurable when lives are on the line. Well, imagine if you could move that cloud data center to a to a point that's down the hall, effectively in the closet, or as uh, I did a podcast uh, last month for Intel and Supermicro where I talked about cloud data centers that are, that you can actually suspend on the 49 foot towers. You wouldn't even have to put a building on them. You, you just build. you take these gray weatherproof boxes. Your servers are inside these boxes, a super Supermicro makes these. And you suspend them in the 49 the foot tower uh, and, and your data center is up in the sky.
0: You know if if somebody had uh if somebody had told you that was possible in 1995 they would have told you you're crazy right? You're really crazy. <laughs> yeah. And now it's it's here it's just amazing. Hey, I want to ask you about something else because that you've really covered those the, the 5G great and I I we're going to start uh, in as a city seeing more and more 5G towers put in and I think we you've touched on just how that can improve your service greatly uh, impact the speed that you have on your connections and how that can open up all sorts of uh, possibilities. But we had a big announcement the day before we record this, we're recording this on uh, May the 14th. And the day before the Centers for Disease Control announced that people are vaccinated, no longer have to wear masks, except for a very small number of, of, of uh, limited exceptions. So we're in this po- we're beginning to move into a post pandemic period, a post pandemic economy, and, you know, technology, I, I, I have a friend of mine works for the government. There are people working from home. The government would never allow to work from home had there not been a pandemic. Now they've been doing it for a year or so. Uh, that's just one example. Tell me how uh, working and technology have all evolved as a result of this pandemic.
1: Well, um, a lot of, of what we do as a society is dependent now upon data centers. I write for a publication called Data Center Knowledge, datacenterknowledge.com. You can me up, Scott and Fulton the Thirty, will find me there. And data centers collect the traffic and the exchange of information, uh, it, and they act as relay facilities. Uh, a lot of cases, they do this for private industry. In some cases, they do for, for telecommunications companies. In many cases, it, it's, it's like I said, for, for, for cities and municipalities. But these data centers are are often in uh, larger metropolitan areas. More and more, you can see that that data centers can become smaller and more spread out, and built in in places like Muncie and Columbus. Uh, and and they can be operated fairly efficiently. Well, all of these these facilities that are run by the larger companies had a uh, these these disaster recovery plans us. the idea was if 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 we're hit by a hurricane what what's the worst thing that could happen to us we could get struck by lightning uh we could have an earthquake and a big facility is out how do we get um the the customer's data and exchange uh, the, the ability to exchange service uh uh back to functional within a 24-hour period and there started to be drills on how to do that, how to produce redundancies, how to get that, that information off of the, the bigger facility and into the smaller ones. So they're working on twenty-four hour periods. Great. Now we narrow that down to eighteen, and that was done. And what would happen is they, they worked out these disaster contingencies, whereby you could start to run a facility. Here's the here's the key: you could start to run a facility, a very large facility, one that's that's the size of of six combined super retailers. And I'll, I'll leave it in the name, nameless because I don't want Walmart to sue us, but six super retailers side by side. You could run that with four people. And start having drills on how to do this up until 2019, you could have four people. Well, a, a note comes over the wire, December 2019. It's, it's the day after Christmas. And I see the note and it says, uh, Dateline Wuhan, China, uh, there's, there's something going on here and uh, these people, a lot, a lot of people called insisted. and this correlates with something we had read about where we had a warning from a researcher saying you could have a virus come from China if, let's say, uh, if, 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 if a certain species of bat were to be resold in a public market. That, that, that might have a, a virus uh, similar to a coronavirus, and that, that could spread. And th- this was December 2019, I was getting these notices. It was that early, that early, that some of the major data center percent, data center providers in the world, uh, I'll, I'll throw out a name, Edge Connects. This is the, the Edge, E-D-G-E, Connects, C-O-N-N-E-X. This was as early as they started saying, okay, we're going to have a crisis. Meeting. This is before anyone started wearing any masks. We had just started, stopped singing Old Lang Syne, and they have these meetings and say, should we drill for our disaster contingency plans? Should we prepare for a time, if it gets bad, where we operate these big facilities off of four people, within four, four people in hazmat, it's pretty much. Or, or, at least very, very well immune, uh, and they started making the preparedness plans that early. They prepared before anybody else, and I actually started seeing uh, articles that were that were published online uh, in late January. Are these facilities being too paranoid? Hmm. Why, why are they acting this way? Well, the truth of the matter is, they saved American business because keeping themselves online, everybody from the big cloud providers, Amazon, Microsoft, Google, to the edge connexes and the NTT datas over the world. I love NTT data. Um, these providers prepared very early, and because they did, they were able to snap their, uh, their disaster preparedness plans in place by mid-February. They were running uh, massive amounts of high-running infrastructure on teams of two and three, not just four, two people in, in these big facilities. And here was the crazy thing they discovered. Because they had all this NASA-style itinerary, because they were, they were now running off of a book, here's what we do first. Here's, here's item number 127 on the list were starting to run more efficiently than they had ever run before. Data centers, as a nation, were, were when they were hit by the pandemic, improved their efficiency by 66% on average nationwide at the time. That the same time, that their workload, the, the amount of exchange they received, because everybody started working from home. Double, more than double. It's six,
0: incredible. 66% is a gigantic number. I just can't <laughs> even picture that. That's huge. What the hell? Yeah, they, <laughs> what they did,
1: and, and this is not a joke, they put themselves at a service level that they expected to be on their own timeline evolution at 2026. My goodness. They leapt wow. ahead by six years.
0: Well, that's quite a story and I think it's important to know some of these things that happened behind the scenes that, you know, we don't even know about as non-tech people, but you're dialed into it and a company like the one you uh, cited there did mm-hmm. some very important work. I want to end this up by uh talking about something myself and you I uh, the reason I'm going to I'm going to bring up ransomware because it's in the news. And also because I uh, learned quite a bit about ransomware while I was teaching uh, tax for Indiana University, continuing education for tax professionals. Uh, I want to just make a few comments about ransomware because it impacted the gasoline supply of the United States over the last week or two. And it's uh, because there was a, a pipeline company that put gas from the Gulf of Mexico up all throughout the northeastern United States. That uh, has caused gas lines and people not to be able to get gas all of a sudden. But ransomware is, is a pretty ugly thing. Uh, one thing I think people have to understand, and this has not been talked about much in, in the media stories I have read, private firms are able to buy ransomware insurance. In fact, some people encourage them to do that, particularly in the tax business, but very few people actually do. have no idea whether Colonial had, the pipeline company had insurance or not. Now, as background, Congress tried to pass a law just a few years ago that would require the private sector to secure their systems. In a lot of ways, ransomware being one of the the dangers there, but it died in Congress because the Chamber of Commerce and lots of business organizations did not want that uh, burden of paying for it, essentially. So it died because it was a burden on business regulation, etc., And now we saw what happened as a result. Well, I was, uh... oh, there's another thing I was going to mention here. We don't know how many ransomware attacks there are. Nobody is required to report them. You don't even have to bring in the FBI unless you want to, although we always recommended uh, the tax professionals do that. You don't have to bring in anybody if you choose not to. And a lot of times people just pay the ransom or go out of business or lock their system or do whatever they have to. Or if they're fortunate, they have a an effective backup server where they already have their information. Uh, but nobody ever has to re- even report this. We don't even know how many there are. Most businesses don't want people to know they were victimized by ransomware unless they absolutely have to. Of course, Colonial Pipeline couldn't help that because the gasoline wasn't fo- flowing in the, in the pipelines. When I taught one particular class in southern Indiana, one of the ladies there who had a small tax practice, you know, talked about having gone through ransomware. Just what a horrible experience it was to have a ransomware attack. And, hey, tax professionals are very big targets because you've got all that personal information of their clients right at your fingertips. Um I will say this, that after you bring in the FBI, let's say you do bring the FBI in and all the other governmental entities that need to get involved, law enforcement and and elsewhere. And I'm sure this happened with Colonia. You bring everybody in and they all uh, take a look at this. They work with you, check to see whether you have insurance. People don't like to talk about this, but there are instances where even the FBI and the federal government will say, hey, the best thing for you to do is just pay the ransom. We have no other way of fixing this, and I'm thinking that, you know, nobody wants to say this, but I would be, not be surprised at all if if Colonial was advised by all the authorities to go ahead and pay the ransom in this case, with the national security and economic uh, implications of it. We don't know that, but I wouldn't be surprised. Another thing is these thieves are the reason they get away with this is because they are protected by their governments. The governments don't go after them. and uh, Certain governments do not prosecute or even go after these uh, ransomware thieves. Russia is one of the biggest, but they're not the only one. And I th- I'll say one more thing. When President Biden had a press conference and was asked about this, uh, he asked if he had ruled out uh, an offensive response, and he said he had not ruled it out. That's the answer I guess any president would make. The United States has tremendous cyber warfare capability. We could probably shut Russia's electricity off. We could do horrible things to them. Of course, then they could come back and do horrible things to us. It's almost like you know mutually assured destruction. You don't want to start that back and forth if you can help it. But uh, offensive capabilities, the U.S. has them. Other countries have them. And uh, you know, would America use offensive cyber capabilities? Uh, if we threaten Russia, if they don't go after these ransomware thieves, I don't know. That's that's a strategic decision to make. So, ransomware is a very complicated situation. I, I'm really curious, Scott, if you have any comments on any of that.
1: Well, uh, I've I've been uh, I've edited security stories. I've, I've been a security editor in my uh, in my previous incarnations. Uh, for a number of online publications. I uh, did uh, did security for uh, a branch of information week before then I I, I did for for a service that's no longer just called Planet IT. I was Planet IT security editor. And we we're covering uh th- this was this was before 9-11. Uh, and I was covering ransomware back then. So that's how, how long we we were faced with this. And in 1999, 2000, you start to see ransomware as a topic and you, you see what it is It holds a system hostage and says, we're not turning over your, your uh, computers and your data back to us until you send us what Colonial said to have paid, Colonial Pipeline said to have paid $5 million. Uh, and and that's, that's a very story in 1999. Why is it still a serious story in two thousand and twenty-one? Because tech doesn't change in people's offices. That's why. Because people are still using Windows XP. That's why. Because if uh, <laughs> you're using Windows ninety-five, um, <laughs> that that there's uh, and the fear here is that that people will blow the bottom line of the colonial story. And they will say, see that, that colonial paid five million dollars if that's the amount that's the amount that's been reported. Colonial paid five million dollars to whoever the random ransomers were and got their data back. And their company is sort of saying, Well, five million, that's nothing. And they're coming to that conclusion because they, they, they're looking at the, the, their balance sheet and the estimate of what it would take them, what what the all the costs involved in modernization, what would it really cost to, to move to something like, like cloud-based services? And they, they look at that, they say, well, the costs per month service buys look like hundreds of dollars, and that looks so appealing and appetizing until you multiply it by the number of virtual desktops we're going to have to use, and then we have to move the licenses over. We have to pay the licenses for licensing Remember, these pipeline control systems, well, they were written in 1985, and they have not been rewritten, and they're not being rewritten, and nobody's going to rewrite them. The reason we have virtual desktops is because we have these these cloud-based refrigerators for ancient software that nobody wants to rewrite because they fear they fear it will cost too much. How much is too much? More than $5 million. They're willing to pay $5 million.
0: But do you because think so? they're
1: afraid they're afraid it's going to cost too much? Well, and do you, as long
0: Yeah. The thing I just want to interject this and I want to hear more of it. Don't you think there's another aspect of this that there was an economic and national security and that the federal government was pounding on colonial to get this get the pipelines back in operation isn't that an extra ingredient in this particular situation
1: well there's a huge cost to the government which means uh, to the to, to, to state and local governments i mean look at georgia and Florida uh, at, at, at what they are they are paying for 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 the you know, they're stationing troops at gas stations. They, they, they've, got, they've got guards at, at the parking lots and the Congo's of, of, of the state here, making sure that people uh, stick to the 10 gallons and that they don't put gasoline in double, double bag, glad bags and put them in the back of their Hummers. I mean, that, that that costs way more than $5 million. So yeah, government has an interest in this. And because the government, because the state governments are getting a lot of their infrastructure funding from, from co-funding from the federal government, yeah, the federal government's gonna say, hey, Polonio, hello, hello, get your act together. Uh, and and they'll say, Oh, yeah, sure, we'll, we'll get our act together. We've paid ransom, we're we're in the free clear. And tomorrow, what's gonna happen? They're gonna get their 1998 PCs back online because their documents and their operating system are on the same hard drive. Think about the, think about what the fact that it's ransomware tells you. It's not a network system. It locked one device, and it brought the whole company down. What's a one device computer system? What, what is a single point of failure? If you knock that, bring down a pipeline. That's when you store everything on your D drive.
0: And doesn't this go back to the whole debate in Congress where Congress was saying update your systems and the mm-hmm. company said, No, we don't want to pay for this. Well, they're paying yeah. for it, and you know, economically the nation, a big part of the nation is paying for this. So wow. Yeah,
1: what the companies will do is they'll is they'll look at things like training costs, retraining fees. What it costs to 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 create to Bring new software developers into the mix, pay them right, full time, and then retrain all people they have to use the new software. Conceivably, they could—they could—they <laughs> don't need that many people to use the new software because the new software might not need to be run by as many people. But they haven't thought of that, have they? They're—they're they're thinking of retraining everybody, and they're—they're they're putting everything on the bottom line. And when they come up with a figure of, of how much it will cost them. To, to to do what Congress is demanding that they do and modernize, it's more than five million dollars. That's the problem. They're looking at they're adding amortization. You work for the IRS. You know how to make a how <laughs> folks make numbers bigger than they are. You,
0: you you've seen this. You want to see uh, antiqu- you want to see antiquated uh, computer systems. Go to the IRS, unfortunately. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Scott, uh, I I don't want to take up all your time. You've given me a tremendous amount of your time, and I appreciate that. We've talked about a lot. Any any final comments in the last uh, two or three minutes? Here, uh,
1: I think I would say that there's there's a lot there's a lot to look forward to. With respect to the state of, of, of technology, because I say that because look at how well the data center industry came through for America at its greatest time of need uh, it, since since like World War One, uh, it, it it absolutely produced for us, and that is because we relied on automation, on modernization, and it worked for us. Imagine. Imagine if the coronavirus, if if COVID-19 was really COVID-16 and it hit us in 2016 or 2017, we would not have been nearly as well prepared. Our schools would not have been able to go virtual. We would not have been able to have Zoom meetings. Whole industries would be sidelined. Financial institutions would would have been paused. Stock trading would have halted. Look at all the transactions that happened in the world that continued because we were ready for them. And we were only ready for them at that one minute at a time. Compare that to where a colonial pipeline is, to where a physical infrastructure providers, a nuclear power company, an electric power company that runs the big grid, and look at the systems that still run their systems, at the little computers where everything is on a C drive, and it takes a rootkit of about 12k of code to knock out the C drive and hold your system hostage. That's Mm -hmm. ridiculous. What's What's the solution to ransomware? Computers that were made in the twentieth century, 21st, or twenty-first century,
0: twenty-first century, twenty-first <laughs> century
1: computers that were made in the twenty-first
0: century.
1: That, was, uh, not the nineteenth. Scott, but you've given Charles Babbage machines.
0: You have given us a lot to think about, and and a perspective I don't think most people would uh, take. And how fortunate we were that the tech industry came through to give us the ability to do these things you mentioned, being able to use Zoom meetings and. And uh, virtual classes, uh, even though they weren't ideal, they wouldn't have even been available had it not been for people coming through on the tech side. I'll wrap it up with this. Uh, Scott, I know you write for a number of publications. Where can people find the writings of Scott Fulton III?
1: You will find my scale blog. It's entitled Scale at uh, znet.com slash blog slash scale. Uh, and in scale, I talk about Big stuff, stuff that's physically big, infrastructure, data centers, quantum computers, 5G, that stuff is in scale. Uh, Also, you'll find in data center knowledge, as I mentioned earlier, all one word, datacenternowledge.com. And there I I talk about uh, facilities, facilities management. Uh, why, Why the data center industry survived the pandemic? Why it thrived? why it's come through, why it evolved when other industries were set back, why, why it went forward. You'll, you'll find a, a, a lot that's in there.
0: Yeah, and and I'm, go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: I, I, I was just going to say, you, you you Google Scott M. Fulton here, you'll find uh, you'll find a lot of crazy stuff. If you Google Scott Fulton, you'll find people named Scott Fulton who are kind of in my industry, who aren't me. Uh, so, so make sure you use their Roman numeral three.
0: Yes, the 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 third is very important there. And Scott, mm-hmm. I I uh, I went and looked at your ZDNet recent articles. You have several five G articles in there. So if you have any interest in tech, especially as you want to dig down into the weeds, go to ZDNet and Scott M Fulton the third is right there, and I would recommend his writing. Scott, thank you again. You've been very generous with your time. I appreciate your time, and uh, thanks again for for joining me.
1: Larry, as always, this was great. Thank you.